Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are so pleased you can join us in today's show. I am Michelle. And I am Mark, your host of this podcast, a show that was designed for you, the Awakening Empty Nester. In this series, we will be bringing you a whole range of inspiring insights, heart-filled stories, and conversations with truly amazing people. People just like you. People who have navigated through their own challenges, lessons, and opportunities. People who have transitioned to living a life of deeper experience, heart-filled contribution, and consistent awakening and growth. Find out how they are all living with what we call a strong ECG life pulse. Let's discover more as we dive into this episode. Whether you're an empty nester or not, we trust you will enjoy today's show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. Thank you for listening in. Today, as we record this podcast, it is June the 2nd, 2020, the start of winter here in Australia. A turbulent yet fascinating time in the world right now, an opportunity to slow down, to reflect on what is truly important, a time to become simply conscious. We love bringing you conversations with interesting people from around the world and today we do just that with a man who embodies the essence of joy and playfulness, a man we first met in 2018 in LA. Yes, we're super excited to welcome to our conversation today Mr. Jason Goldberg, also known as JG, who is joining us all the way from California, USA. In a few years that JG has graced this planet, he has experienced many a transition. After spending a decade in the corporate world, he went on to launch an award-winning transportation startup, then served as CEO for a tech firm in partnership with NASA to commercialise technology from the Space Shuttle program. JG is an award-winning entrepreneur, a TEDx speaker, international best-selling author of Prison Break, a show host master coach, and most importantly, a Baconitarian. And apparently, that's a vegetarian who still eats bacon. So we'll touch on that too. He's a funky sock lover, a former rapper, and previously a 332-pound man who has since lost over 130 pounds despite his continuing affinity for bacon. Welcome, Mr. JG. It's all true. At least 50% of that is 100% true. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's all, it's all real stuff. Uh, thank you so much for the, the introduction. And for those of you who can't see on video, uh, it's really funny to watch Mark and Michelle fight over the microphone. They have one mic, and what you don't know is they're punching each other, they're elbowing each other in the face to get to the mic. I really wish you could see the video. It's very violent and very loving all at the same time. <laughs> Yes, we do have a bit of a love for this mic, don't we, darling? Well, it's competition, isn't it? You love it. (laughs) No, you guys share it beautifully. You guys are the the give and take, the the ebb and flow. You guys are masters of this stuff. (laughs) Thank you, JG. So, JG, we've watched you over the past two years, but it's felt like ages since we were in LA. We met you at Mind Valley. You were at Evercoach. You presented there, and your presence on stage. We could just not stop listening to you. Your energy of joy, your playfulness, your humor that captivated us. We'd like to know a little bit more about you, JG. 
Yeah. Thank you. First of all, I'm glad that you actually liked the talk there. I, you know, you, you never know. It, you know, it feels like it goes good, but people could be like, this guy sucks. I can't stand this guy. Don't ever bring him back again. Uh, so that was a really fun event. I remember that event. It was super, super fun. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, what you said, it's, it's, you know, it, it's something that I've had to, I have to do it out of necessity. I just, I, um, I call myself now, like people say like, you know, I go on podcasts all the time and they say like, you know, who are you or what do you do? Or like, tell us about yourself. And it really like, it boils down to me as much as possible trying to be a joy activator, just activating joy wherever I can with whoever I meet. And, and you guys probably know this, but like my, my one line business plan, which is also my one line life plan that worked out well is to leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy than I found them. Nice. And so that's a thing for me that like literally no joke. I, I will cry. I will literally cry when I think about the fact that that is my purpose on the earth. Literally this morning, like I have my morning routine and I was listening to like a, a meditation this morning and I started tearing up thinking about the fact that this is what I'm here to do in the world is to, is to activate joy within people. So for me, it's like, it's something I can't not do it. It's not, um, it's not strategic. Uh, if I stopped coaching or being an entrepreneur tomorrow, I would make sure that it was still there if I was a bank teller or a Target cashier or a Starbucks barista. The joy activation is just who I am. That's such a beautiful mission and you are doing that. That's what we see every day. Just you coming on and your hands going and your smile even if we don't hear you. <laughs> Is there some Italian background to you, Jason? <laughs> no, I, there's no Italian background, but it's funny because I actually when I did my TEDx talk, I actually had they assigned everybody a coach, like a speaking coach. Uh -huh. And I was a professional speaker by the time I did my TEDx, but I was like, cool, I'm getting a speaking coach. This is great. I'm totally down for that. And every time I would practice my talk, he would say, your hands need to be at your side. Oh. Like constantly, say, put your hands at your side. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to work, bro. Uh, so <laughs> I remember the last time we did a rehearsal where he said that. And I, I wanted to be very loving, very compassionate. I, what I wanted to say was, F you, I'm going to do what I want. But instead I said, uh, I said, thank you so much for your feedback. And I am no longer open to entertaining any feedback about my hands. Oh, nice. And he stopped. And that was the end. But yeah, I, I talk with my hands and that's just my natural thing. And I probably am part Italian somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> but it's good though. It's physical expression of the joy and the enthusiasm in the talk mm. and the conversation. So I think it's amazing. I throw my hands around probably a little too much too. But anyway, it's all good fun. <laughs> so were you always like this, my friend? Were you always as joyful? What was life like previously? Yeah. So it's interesting. So um, I've always been kind of the, like the class clown, the center of attention. I remember my mom tells a story all the time that she would get uh, progress reports or report cards home from, you know, me being a little kid, like five, six years old, seven years old in, in school, in elementary school. And on the progress report, it would say, uh, Jason is such a, a lovely student. He's so, uh, he's so uh, bright. Uh, if we could just get him to shut up for five <laughs> minutes, it would be amazing. Uh, and so I, I, I've always kind of had this thing where I like being the center of attention. But I think part of that came from, and I realized this, especially as I got into like my teen years uh, and, and it became more, uh, once I had more of my cognition developed and I had language to figure out what I was actually feeling inside, I started to realize that that was something I developed as a way to feel valuable, right? Mm -hmm. And so from a very young age, like I never had a father. My father actually left my mom when she was pregnant. Like as soon as he found out she was pregnant, he left. Mm -hmm. And so I've never met him, never seen him. He could walk by me on the street. I would have no idea who he was. And even though I had a ton of love for my mom, uh, I think there was something there that said, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be valuable so that nobody else leaves. Mm -hmm. I didn't know this as a little kid, of course. Oh, uh, but, but I think that's kind of where this center of attention thing came from, is mm -hmm. if you can entertain people and, and make them love you, mm -hmm. uh, then they won't leave you. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so I think that's where it kind of started. And then I really started to understand that that was what I was doing as I got older and as I got heavier weight wise, as, as you mentioned that I had gotten up to 330 pounds. Uh, I realized as I got heavier and heavier and I was in school and being picked on and being a teenager who was severely overweight, morbidly obese, that if I could make people laugh, it would at least in some way, shape or form ward off some of the bullying or the making fun of me, or at least I, I had the perception that it would. Uh, and so I did that. And so it wasn't until I was much older into my twenties and, and even now I, I've just turned 40. Uh, I now, I now have a very clear understanding that, and this is for all of us and for all of our gifts, that all of our gifts have a shadow and all of our shadows have a gift. Mm. And so if left unchecked, I can use my humor as a way to get validation, approval, and, and to feel loved and to feel enough. Mm -hmm. But when I'm very purposeful about the intention from which the humor and the joy comes, mm -hmm. then it is a channel for service and it's a channel for fulfillment for me. Mm. So when you use it consciously, it's a gift. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So, yeah, my pleasure. So tell us a bit about the weight that you lost. It must have been a huge transition for you. Literally and figuratively, yeah. It's uh, it was it was very huge, yeah. Well, because I had I had gotten up to two hundred and fifty pounds when I was fifteen years old, wow. right? And so, like a lot of people, it's funny. I don't know if you've ever heard this from people before, but I, I've heard it all the time. People who are adults who are like, man, if I could just get back to the weight I was in high school, and that would be amazing. I'm like, the weight I was in high school was like literally 40 pounds heavier than I am now as a 40 year old. So I had no like, if I had to do that, I would have said, man, I I would love to get back to the weight I was when I was nine. Like that's kind of like, you know, that would have been my kind of frame of reference, right? So, so I just, I never had that. And so when you, and this is, you know, in so many elements of our lives, when there's something that we want to, uh, to do or to become or to create without any reference point or any frame of reference for what it looks like to possess that thing, whether it's a business or it's a relationship or it's your body or it's whatever it is, uh, it's very difficult to think that it's it could be possible for you, Absolutely. right? If you don't have models of that or if you don't have a frame of reference, right? So for me, I had no frame of reference of having a non-morbidly obese body. Mm -hmm. So it was very difficult for me to think that that was possible for me. And I think that's one of the reasons I struggled for so long with the weight. Even with the physical weight coming off when the, the, I finally was able to lose the physical weight, I still was carrying around all of the other types of weight that I had carried around my whole life. So I, I always thought like, if I could just lose the physical weight, my life would be perfect. Mm -hmm. And this is a good reminder for me and, and I think for all of us that anything we think that if we just get this thing, then life will be happy. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't work that way, at least not for very long. Yeah. And I believe that about my weight. And so when I lost my physical weight, it was like, great, I feel a lot better in my body, but I still had all the depression, the stress, the anxiety, the the suicidal thoughts. Like I still had all this stuff mm -hmm. that I just hadn't addressed because that's the inner weight that I hadn't dealt with yet. Mm. So tell us, how did you deal with it in the end? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is where I, I really started leaning into personal growth and and, and understanding what this was. Because because what here's here's what I noticed. I noticed that there were people around me people who are very close to me, like my, my ex-wife, for example, who I was, we were together for 12 years and she had a lot of traumatic stuff happen in and around her life from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And she didn't seem to have the same issues with anger um, or, you know, prolonged feelings of sadness or depression. Everybody has their moments, but like she didn't have like the more like acute depression that, that I see that's an ongoing constant depression. Uh, she didn't seem to have that. And, and so I'm somebody who is, part creative, part analytical. I think we all are, but like I, I am pretty much down the center of those two things. 
And so I kind of looked at this and said, well, what does she know that I don't know? What, what do these people around me who have been through this stuff and they don't feel, they don't seem to feel like I feel, what do they know that I don't know? So I went on this kind of reverse engineering mission, right? It's what I did in my corporate job when I was in IT consulting for 15 years is I was really good at reverse engineering things to figure out how they work so I could build new things. Mm -hmm. It's like, this can't be any different. And so I started to read personal growth and kind of get into that whole thing. At first, it made no sense to me at all. I don't know if you guys have had this experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the first personal growth book I read, have you guys read um, Think and Grow Rich? Yes. Have you ever read that book before? Definitely, yes. okay. I feel like everybody has. That's like, <laughs> like so many people's big thing. So I'm reading this book and I don't know if you remember this, but throughout the whole book, Napoleon Hill is saying something to the effect of, you know, by now you probably are getting the secret of what it takes. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? What are you, what are you saying? Just tell me the thing. Stop saying I should have gotten it by now. Just tell me. Because to me, it, I, it didn't occur to me, and it's right on the front cover of the book, it didn't occur to me that that think that thoughts, mm -hmm. that us having some kind of role, having some kind of volition in our experience of life was even a thing. Mm. Because just like with the weight, I had no frame of reference. Yep. So it took me really, you know, reading more books, getting coached myself, and really having the space to open up to these new ideas, to having to start understanding where I could apply them in my life. And that's mm. been a journey. I got into that. I got into personal growth just for myself, not as, as a career. Uh, and probably 2000 nine mm -hmm. or so. Uh, yeah, around 2009 is when I started getting into it. And it's, you know, to this day, it's still something I'm always doing the work on myself as much as I do it for anybody else or with anybody else. Mm. Yeah, once you start, it's difficult to put it down, isn't it? Because you get so much reward out of that next aha moment that, oh, wow, I can feel that better now. And for some people it becomes an addiction. It, it is. And it's fun. I love that you said that because actually, um, I actually think that sometimes we do too much work on ourselves and yeah. we can, we can be overcoached. We can overcoach ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes it kind of becomes like this, a form of like mental masturbation <laughs> where it's like all this great information that's being taken in your head. And it feels like you get a dopamine hit and it's, and it's almost like, I remember journaling on this one day and it's, it sticks out to me. It's, I journal all the time. And this one thing sticks out to me is that I realized that this journal entry I had, I don't know how long ago it was, a long time ago, where I realized that in some respects, I was codependent on my need to work on stuff, mm. right? Right. It was like, who would I be if there wasn't something to work on? And that can become a dangerous thing. It can be an addiction. You said it, Mark, like mm. it can really start feeling like an addiction. And so at some point, it's actually good to, to put the books down mm -hmm. and to put all mm. the things externally down and just understand it from a very simple and playful place like, oh, I'm doing that thing again where I think something needs to be fixed. I'm doing that thing again, where there's something about me that I think needs to be resolved, needs to be uh, shifted or reframed. And sometimes it's just better to say, oh, there's that thought again, and then go back to living life. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit like the analogy of the caterpillar and the butterfly, not having to keep breaking the cocoon, the cocoon. <laughs> to surrender to the growth that you already know and have inside of you and allow that to flow and allow that to transform through you and not have to keep learning and keep feeling like you need to implement every day in a physical way. You know, sometimes it's just about letting go. Implementation is a huge thing too, though. We learn, learn, yeah. learn, learn, but do you actually implement it? You know, I think that that's, right. that's a, yeah. a big issue with a lot of people down this path as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of my mentors always says, you know, it's, it's, it's information versus transformation. Yes. Right. And, and so he actually says, like, he says, when you read something, you should read it once for information, 
twice for transformation. Mm. Right. Uh, and I added a third, I read it a third time for crystallization, <laughs> right? Like really, really to drive it home because to know something intellectually from the neck up is a lot different than having it make that 18 inch journey from the head to the heart. It's the longest 18 inch journey in the world, right? It's from the head to the heart. Yes. And so the, the more we can go from information to transformation, sometimes that actually means, and I've done this with clients a bunch and I've done it with myself a bunch, is I will put clients or put myself on a 30 day information ban. And what that means is I am allowed to pick one book or one thing that I'm reading, but nothing else. I'm not reading any blogs, not reading, not watching any YouTube videos, not taking any courses. And for that 30 days, I focus on this one thing, this one book, let's say. And the only other rule on an information ban besides not bringing in all these different sources is that as soon as I have an insight in a book, like something I would like to highlight and dog ear, mm -hmm. I stop reading and I go find a way to implement that thing, mm, nice. right? And so that's a way that we can really slow this down, take in less and actually have more transformation. Yes. Definitely. I like that. That's yeah. a great tip. So your journey of personal development started in the early 2000, 2009. Late. So, no, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Did that journey help you to move from the corporate to the startups to where you are now? Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were integral. I don't think I, I would have been able to do it otherwise. Uh, the funny thing was when I, when I left my last corporate job, which was in 2011, uh, which is where I had, I had been at that company for seven, seven or so years. And I was a director of operations and engineering for this IT consulting firm. Mm -hmm. And when I left that, when I left that job, I had already started getting into personal growth. Uh, and so I had done it for about two years by that time, like reading and all this stuff. And it was actually funny because my, my boss in the company had hired an outside coach to come in and I had never experienced anything, any coaching. I had never been like coached in that way before. Mm -hmm. uh, when he first hired him in, I think my first time actually hiring a coach for my Self was like 2012 or 2013. I think it was 2012. Uh, so, um, so in 20, 2011, 2010, 2011, when he brought this person in, it was 2011 actually. Uh, and, and he brought him in to coach us because he wanted us to, you know, grow the company. And, and so he brought this person in to coach the executive management team as a group and then also one by one. And so I'm like really getting into this. It's really cool. Like he's like, you know, I, you can trust me with anything and I'm your coach, even though the company hired me. So everything's confidential. And I ended up revealing to him that I had a startup I had been working on that at some point I would like to go full time in. Mm -hmm. And he literally threatened me and said, if I don't tell, if, if, I, if you don't tell your boss, I'm going to tell him. Oh, wow. And I was like, whoa, what happened to everything is confidential? Yeah. He's like, well, if you have like a cocaine problem, that will be confidential. I'm like, oh, maybe good to qualify what confidential means in the future. Uh, but, it was, but it was great because what it did for me was I was so afraid to take that leap and mm -hmm. to leave the safety of my corporate job and, right. and do this, this startup that I was working on nights and weekends mm -hmm. uh, for almost a year. And he basically gave me that, that kind of nudge. Mm -hmm. And so I, I walked into my boss's office and I told him, you know, what had happened with this guy. And then he told me I had to, you know, I had to tell him. Mm -hmm. And uh, my boss was amazing. He's still to this day, the greatest boss I ever had. Uh, he said, well, number one, we're firing the coach because I can't believe he put you in that position. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, and which was beautiful that he had my back in that way. Mm -hmm. And the second thing he said was, what took you so long? Wow. Like, I knew that you were destined to go do your own thing. What took you so long? You need to go do this thing. But me being able to deal with the uh, the premature leaving of leaving the job because I hadn't planned to do it that quickly really had me tap into these the personal growth stuff that I had been learning mm -hmm. and then moving into that first company where there was a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of uncertainty and and running out of money and business partners who weren't who I thought they were and and, and just all these different things again if I didn't have this kind of stuff to lean on I would have gone crazy and so. 
I think all those tools served me so well as I went through those two startups that I launched. The mm -hmm. first one that I launched when I left uh, the transportation company that I, I started when I left corporate. And then the one with NASA, that was another company that I started. All these tools applied. And then eventually it came to a place where I was like, this is fun. Like I love starting up stuff and it's super cool to be doing like NASA kind of stuff or whatever. But I kept going back to personal growth and I kept going back to the fact that I love to teach and I love to speak and I love to, uh, to, to be in front of a room. And so that's when I finally asked myself in 2013, 2014, how do I get paid to continue learning all this stuff mm -hmm. and help other people at the same time? And I stumbled into coaching mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's kind of where, where this all started. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your programs. What programs do you have at the moment? Uh, so the main program we run now uh, is called the Competition Proof Business Immersion. So it's for people who are coaches uh, who want a, a transformational business program. So it's not about just giving people like tactics and strategies, but it's doing the inner work so that you can actually show up and do the outer work stuff more effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the main thing that we run uh, constantly with coaches. We've run it now with I know, a few hundred coaches that have gone through it. Uh, and it's been amazing over the last couple of years. And then I have another program called Playful Prosperity, which we haven't run live in a while, but I, I gave it away to uh, during the whole COVID, when COVID first started, uh, and just to kind of be of service. And, and we've run it for several years. So that's kind of more personal growth and this whole playfulness thing that we're, you know, we're kind of alluding to here as well. Mm, yeah, I saw that. That's a nine-week program, is that right? Uh, Eight-week eight program, eight yeah. Eight-week program. Week program. Eight yep, week. and we ran it live in 2017 and 2018, and yeah. then we just didn't have yeah. the, the human power on the team to be running all the stuff we were running. Uh, Right. So we kind of just narrowed down and focused on the one thing, but I really want to bring playful prosperity back because it's, it's something very special to me because it was just my, when I built that program, I kind of said like, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, mm -hmm. I want to put all the best stuff that I know about, you know, being prosperous in life into a program. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was a labor of love to create it. And so I want to make sure I still have it out there in the world. Even if people aren't paying for it, I still want to get it out there in the world as much as possible. I reckon I'd be one of your students in that one because that's one area that I'd love to explore a lot more with, Jason. And that is, you were in a corporate job. I was in a corporate job for 20 plus years. And what I did see a lot, both in myself and many of my colleagues, is that you have to be serious to be successful. This silly belief, you have to be serious and really knuckle down and, and don't be distracted and all these sorts of things to be successful in a corporate position. Just speak a little bit more about that and your transition through that and some tips you might be able to share our empty nesters that are still in that space. Yeah. And that was my experience too, Mark. That was like, it was like, yeah, you got to get serious. Like seriousness is what makes you successful. This is the, what I say is the biggest lie we've ever been told yeah. uh, is that we have to be serious to be successful. And then luckily I, I came across a guy by the name of Alan Watts. I don't know if you guys are yeah. familiar with or have followed yes. any of his work before, but he's, he's one of my favorites philosopher. He's, he's since passed, but uh, really just amazing guy. And uh, he talks about the distinction between being serious and being sincere right? Yes. So a lot of people think that if you're not going to be serious, it means that you're flippant and you're aimless and you just like get drunk all day and you throw water balloons at your coworkers. And it's just like, there's no purpose. There's no, there's no purposefulness. There's no intentionality. You're just a wandering aimless generality of life waiting to die. And, uh, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, and uh, for me, it's about sincerity. So I want to be really sincere about the work that I do. I want to be really, you know, devoted and committed. And I, I want to pour all my love and my attention and my creativity into whatever the, the thing or the person is that's in front of me. And to me, seriousness, and this is just for me, this is um, uh, lowercase t truth, not capital T truth, uh, is that for me, when I hear or think of the word serious, I feel very contracted. 
Mm-hmm. I feel um, I feel less less creative. I feel uh, I feel um, I can feel like heat in my body. I can feel tenseness in my shoulders. It feels like I'm running out of time. It feels like nothing's happening the way it's supposed to. It's it's just judgment after judgment after judgment of whatever I'm doing when I'm being serious. And I think the biggest reason that, and, and this is, I know this for myself, but I know it from speaking to tons of groups all over the world that were that are in a corporate environment and actually having companies hire me to come in to talk about living a not so serious life, which in the beginning they were like, what are you talking about? And now they, they're kind of getting it more is that the biggest reason that people think that they should be serious and that it's not okay to loosen their grip a little bit is that they feel like if they're not, two things, if they're not serious, number one, people will think they don't care. They'll be passed over for promotions or they'll, they're not tooting their horn and doing all these things and being super serious, then they're going to be stagnant in their career. That's number one. Or number two, they think that they actually need the seriousness and the stress to be motivated. They think that if they actually lay that burden down for a minute, that it means they're going to get fat and lazy and sit on the couch and eat bonbons all day and never do anything. And the challenge with both of those beliefs is that they are beliefs that have been made into truth without actually testing, mm-hmm. right? Yes. That people don't test that and they think it's because it's terminal, right? But that's the entire thing. If I am really sincere about the work that I do, I'm gonna be more creative, I'm gonna be more innovative, I'm gonna be more collaborative, I'm gonna be more open, I'm gonna have more richness in my relationships. All the things that we think seriousness will give us are actually more accessible when we're sincere instead of being serious. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing. On the number two thing, where like I'm not going to be motivated. Uh, this is something I love from Byron Katie. Byron Katie is one of my my top mentors, uh, who I just love, and I'm just just she's incredible. And if you haven't checked out her work, check out her work as well. She talked about this one time where she says, you know, she. <laughs> She gave up like um, being overly, she didn't use the word serious, but let's just say serious for lack of a better word. Uh, she gave up, you know, the seriousness or this attachment to things working out a certain way. And she thought like, oh my God, that just means I'm going to sit here and I'm never going to do anything again. And I'm not going to be motivated and I'm just going to, I'm going to be a lump on a log. And then I had to pee. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, it's, and it's funny. And at the same time, it's like, oh yeah, when your mind's not cluttered with crap, you do the next thing. If it's meaning you have to pee, then you pee. If it means you have to call a client, you call a client. If it means you got to go on a sales call, you go on a sales call. The next thing will always occur to you to do, but we just don't test that. We think that we're going to just become Netflix bingers and never do anything with our lives. Mm -hmm. But if we actually drop some of the seriousness and actually let go of some of the burden that we're carrying around, we're still going to do the next thing. We're just going to do it without all of the heaviness. Mm -hmm. I love that. Love that. There's a lot of truth in there, my friend. And uh, yeah, hopefully some of that will hit home with some of our listeners and really get them to wake up to more sincerity, put that seriousness aside and really get more more connected with themselves so they can give more of themselves in whatever space that they're in, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, it's not, and it's not like an all or nothing. Like you don't need to... You don't need to listen to this and then be like, well, from now on, I'm just, I'm done with seriousness. It's gone forever because that's just, to me, that's not the human experience. The reason that I talk about this and I do this work is because left to my own devices, I take everything too seriously. Myself, my business, my relationships, that's my default mode. That's why I have to do this work, right? I'm I'm a constant skeptic. I'm a constant skeptic of this work and that's why I have to keep testing it on myself, right? I, I I do that on myself. And so the goal here is not to fundamentally shift some personality disorder that we think we have that we're serious. 
there are plenty of times where we're not serious, right? I mean, at least when sure. I'm sleeping, I'm not serious. That one, I, I think, uh, maybe I should have a video camera on me. Maybe I'm like, oh, while I'm sleeping, who knows? But, but for the most part, there, there are times when all of us have been not serious. So we have that frame of reference, like we were talking about before with having a frame of reference. So it's a matter of just saying like, can I, can I play with being 5% less attached to whatever's going on, on in the world? Can I, be, can I have 5% of a, of a looser grip can I, can I make the things around me 5% less significant than I typically tend to make them? And you just test this stuff out little by little. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. Something I tell people all the time is like the stress, the seriousness, the despair, the anxiety, the depression, it'll all be there waiting for you if you want to go back to it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's, it's fine. It'll wait as long. It'll just sit there with its arm crossed and say, hey, I... I'm home. I know you're coming back to me at some point. So it's going to be there. Don't worry about it. Go test this other thing. Worst case scenario, you're back to where you were when you started and you didn't lose anything. That's an ongoing state here at our house (laughs) with me being completely crazy, creative, changing my ideas every minute. and Literally. Yeah. And... (laughs) And Mark just going... Huh? It's I'm, I'm continually trying to activate Mark's joy, but really I've stopped doing that now and I just activate my own. And Mark, he's shifted in the past four years that I've known him. <laughs> so what, I, I'm curious, so Mark, what, what, is, what does joy even mean to you? Because like, that's, a great that's one of the things that we all have our own definitions. And so if I'm trying to get you to be joyful in my way, then I may fail miserably, right? If you're, uh, what did they say? Like if you judge a fish, uh, on its ability to cr- climb a tree, it'll consistently think it's an idiot for life. Like it's, it's important to have context. So what does joy mean to you? That's a question I always struggle with. A couple of years ago, I was asked a similar question. What do you do for fun, Mark? And I just didn't know how to answer that. I'd lived in this space of just doing work, caring for my children, caring for my late wife, just entrenched in other people's care and had forgotten about myself. And it was then that I launched into personal development and really started to realize that I got to look after me first so that I can be a lot more for other people. So meditating is huge for me, just getting there and finding who I really am and being super comfortable with it. Putting aside the need for acceptance, putting aside the concern over judgment and rejection and all of those things that were, that I used to get caught up with. And I'll admit, yeah, they're still there to some degree, but goodness me, nowhere near, nowhere near where they used to be. And it's all because yeah. of awakening to that space of who I am in my true self. And as we say in our business, there's there are three pillars, experience, contribution, and growth and asking those empowering questions of, how do I want to experience this moment? How can I? What do I want to do today? What do I want to do in this next phase of my life to experience a lot more that I want to do? How can I contribute what I've learned so much more to myself first, to Michelle as my partner, as my fiance, you know, to people in my life, my family, my kids, and how do I contribute to them so that their life is a lot better? And of course, all of that is, what do I need to know more? What do I need to learn now so that I can experience more, so that I can contribute a lot more? So going into that space has allowed me to experience a lot, a heck of a lot more joy. Yeah. 
I love that. And, and that's, and that's so important. I think everybody listening to this should really take a look at what their own definition of joy is. And I don't just mean so that, you know, but I also mean it because I think it's a disservice to all of us to try to uh, think that there is a universal definition for any of these things, joy, happiness, like any of it. As soon as we think that there is a universal definition, then I'm coming from a place of lack Mm -hmm. and I'm coming from a place of somebody else knows better than I do. And then I see a little kid like jump into a puddle and splash everywhere and laugh. And I feel like the sense of something, but I go, no, 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 that's not enough. I need to figure out what joy means for me. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, what, what about that little moment that just happened? That's, mm-hmm. that's great. Like there's this, there's this video of a little girl uh, on, on the internet experiencing rain for the first time. She mm-hmm. runs outside, she's with her family. She runs outside and it's raining and she freaks out in a good way. She's like laughing and screaming and dancing. <laughs> and like, I tear up when I see it. That's joyful for me. Mm-hmm. Is it like some massive purpose of like shifting into massive joy that feels like I can take on the work? No, but it's, it's a moment of feeling like something bigger than myself Mm. and that little gleam of joy that's enough I don't need it to be to somebody else's level of joy whether it's higher or lower than that I don't need to compare it so I think for everybody listening find the joyful moments in your life for yourself and find ways to replicate those more often it can be very very simple and as you do in your coaching business and your mission is to bring joy into your business bring joy into everything that you do whether it's that little glimmer, whether it's a big, big, massive thing. Yeah. Do it authentically. That's it. It comes back to your truth, doesn't it? When you're being authentic and you're being real and you're free, you do feel joy. However you're feeling it, you feel it. But you can only do that when you put those rules aside. I must do this so that I can experience Mm -hmm. that. All these things need to line up so that this thing will happen. If there were no rules, if you put all your beliefs aside and there was nothing there, you know, how would you feel about that? And when you put those aside, it makes a massive difference. It's huge that there's a lot of conditioning in there that says you're not allowed to have your own experience. Uh, I was just talking to a client a few minutes before this and, uh, and, and just seeing how the conditioning from her family is running what she believes she deserves she can have. And, and, you know, what, what's possible for her. And it's just so interesting how that, and we all have it. I mean, we all have beliefs that are passed down well-intentioned. Our families don't typically mean us any harm. I don't think I like to think they're good for the most part. (laughs) They're doing the best they can as well, but it's other people's definitions of success for you or happiness for you or anything else. I always say the people closest to us, they are typically for the most part, trying to do one of two things. They're either projecting or protecting right? One of the two, they're projecting or they're protecting, projecting their own stuff on you, projecting that they could never do the thing that you're trying to do. And so they need to, to, to make sure to kind of naysay a little bit on what you do um, or protecting, right? They think that you're going to be putting yourself in harm's way by doing something that they don't necessarily think uh, is something that they would do. And the beautiful thing about protecting and projecting from people that are close to us is that that's none of my business. That's not, that's not about me. It doesn't affect what it is that I do. I mean, it may feel like it affects you, but in in truth, it can only affect me if I take it on. If I transfer my power to them and say, your view on life is now my view on life, right? It's 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 just like us being named. Like, you know, Mark and Michelle, you you weren't Mark and Michelle until you heard somebody call you that enough times and then you believed it. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden you've been Mark and Michelle for all these years. You're not, you're not Mark and Michelle. You're much more than that, right? So, so if we can really slow down and realize all the conditioning, all the people thinking we should or shouldn't do this, it's no different than us believing that our name is whatever our name is because people have said it a lot. 
we have a choice. Now, for social construct purposes, cool. You decided to keep Mark and Michelle. Awesome. If you guys decided to change your names to Sonny and Cher tomorrow, I would still love you both. It wouldn't change anything about how I feel about you. And you have the, the freedom to do that if you want to. And the same thing happens with whatever it is we want to create in the world. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah. Sonny and Cher. <laughs> I kind of like that. You can have the like share. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're, we're reaching the end of, of our time together, JG, but we'd like to finish off with a few questions. What is the next experience that you're longing for that you desire to have? Oh, can I say pizza? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, or bacon? <laughs> bacon pizza. Just when you said that, I was like, hmm, pizza mm. sounds really good right now. <laughs> You know, for me, actually, the, the next experience is, um, is really bringing to, bringing to fruition this vision I have of a, of a show. Uh, there's a couple different shows that I'm working on, one that I'm doing on my own and one that I'm working with a production company on, like a bigger kind of production. But that's the next experience I want to have is really bringing the things together that I love, which are primarily personal growth, comedy, and hip hop, and bringing those three things together in a way that really resonates with me and also is uh, increases the likelihood that people will actually learn something and apply something from what I'm saying. It's mm -hmm. uh, lowering people's resistance by me leading with kind of entertainment. So nice. that's the big thing for me is I have these two different shows that I'm developing and I'm really excited about both of them. Awesome. Are you able to break into hip hop? Oh, with you guys? Yeah. Just well, pick I mean, anything. Do you, guys have, do you guys have Venmo, PayPal? Like how, how do you want to pay me for my performance? <laughs> Uh, we'll ask our listeners to pay, to subscribe and pay. <laughs> you go, yeah, we'll make it a bonus. If they, if they pay for watching the episode, yeah. then I'll do a, a, a wrap just for them. Yeah, we'll yeah. blank this bit out and then we'll um, release it to them once they pay. <laughs> there you go. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, maybe, maybe one day in the future we'll make that happen. Okay. Beautiful. So contribution, I mean, you contribute on a daily basis in your groups and on, on live media. That's the way I see where you contribute. Tell us a little bit more about your thoughts and feelings on contribution and what's next in that space for you. Yeah, I mean, that you, you nailed it. I mean, that's that's my thing. Like if I have a day where I don't do that, I get like, I get like weird. Like I get like itchy if I don't have like a day where I'm doing something to contribute in some way. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's where I do it. That's I'm so in love with, and nobody can see this because they're not watching video, but like this thing I'm so in love with because, you know, I love being on stage, but then I realize that like, this is the best three by five inch stage in the world that's in my pocket all the time. Yes. Uh, and so uh, anytime I have a chance to share anything that may make a difference for people, I'm all over that. I am both a teacher and a coach, which the beautiful thing about that is that it gives me two avenues to experience that level of contribution. Uh, sometimes one is needed more than the other. Uh, and so I get to kind of float between those two. But yeah, that's so, so it's that. And then it's also the stuff that has nothing to do with my work. And you know, paying for the person's coffee behind me in the coffee shop or whatever, which I'm still doing, even though we're in lockdown, we can still do takeout coffee. And so when we're standing in line six feet apart, uh, sometimes I'll just pay for the person's coffee behind me. And so anything like that, it's about being of service, right? It's waking up every day and just saying like, how can I make a difference today? And whether that's personally or professionally, whatever it is, it's just asking that question and doing the thing, no matter how simple or how complex it may be. Mm. And it's a good feeling, isn't it? as little as just paying for somebody's coffee behind you in the line, the feeling you get when somebody does that for you, it's like, wow, you know, my day is just fantastic. There are some beautiful people out there. Recently, we're seeing a lot of not so pleasant activities and reactions and responses in people around the world. So such a small act to make a huge difference. Mm. Yep. 
It's so true. I, I, I think it's I think it's amazing that what occurs to people to do in the world when they feel uh, loved for and cared for. Mm. There's there's nobody in the world that's ever like you know, God forbid it ever happens again, but like shot up a school or like committed a terrorist act. There's nobody that would do that and then talk to them afterwards and ask them how they feel about life. And they would say, oh yeah, I feel really loved and seen and heard and supported. Like mm. they would that, they would never say that. And on the flip side, people who feel loved and seen and, 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 and validated and heard and supported, it doesn't even occur to them to do something like this. Mm. So we have a responsibility to at least contribute as much of that as we can to the world yeah. in service of not just ourselves, but in service of everybody around. So mm. no matter how little it is, we got to just do that on a daily basis, man. 100%. Yeah. So listeners, listen up, go out and ripple a little bit of love into the world. It makes a huge difference. You're so right, Jason. Last question or second last question. What is one thing that you want to overcome that scares you? One thing that overcomes and scares me, God, probably dating in Los Angeles. Uh, it's probably the number one thing. Goodness, it is. I, I wish I could say that was a joke or hypothetical. Uh, no, there's, I'm sure there's something better than that. Um, well, the, the dating come, scene is pretty scary. Come back over here to the Gold Coast. I know you were here just last year. There's plenty of single ladies over here for you. I, I no joke. I thought about moving to Broad Beach for for right? a little bit. It's absolutely gorgeous. So, yeah, I mean, uh, hmm. I don't know. That's a really good question. I mean, maybe it's something around uh, the, the show thing that I was talking about. It's just like when something feels like it's, it's right there, like on your mind and like bringing that to fruition and making sure to uh, lessen the significance or the attachment I have to what it's going to look like mm. so that I can be in purposeful action mm -hmm. and not like not letting good be the enemy of perfect and actually just like taking a step forward. So mm. I could see it being in that, in that realm for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That just reminds me, and we didn't mention earlier, thank you again. We've just completed going through the course of creating transformations and found it really, oh, really nice. amazing. So, yeah, we're in the closing phases of pulling all of our material together. And I remember you saying just that in that course. Yeah, maybe I'll start living my own message now. Maybe, that, yeah, maybe I'll start doing it. <laughs> I'll stop being a hypocrite. It'll be great. <laughs> Last question. How would you define an awakening soul? An awakening soul, huh? Yeah, I like that. I think uh, an awakening soul to me is somebody who um, has uh, charged batteries in their metal detector. And, and what I mean by that is that if metal is a, a metaphor uh, for happiness or peace or success or whatever else, and we're walking around in kind of a zombie state, then we can swing the metal detector around all day and we won't actually find any of the things that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we start waking up to the truth of, I'm not my stories, I'm not my thoughts, I'm not my past, I'm not my parents' expectations, I'm not my kids' successes, it works in both directions, it's not just the parents uh, who bring stuff down to you, it's the stuff you also project onto your kids. Uh, when, when I realize I am not that, it's almost like I have a fully charged metal detector. And now when I walk out in the world and I'm swinging it around, I see exactly where I'm meant to go. I see exactly where I'm meant to slow down and focus. And those are things that just don't occur to me when I'm kind of asleep. So uh, I always say you can't get out of bed until you wake up. And so the, the waking up part is huge. Uh, and then once I'm awake, I say, oh, cool. I can lay in bed or I can stand up or I can run or I can jump on the bed, or I can make the bed, or I can throw the bed out the window. But I have all these different opportunities that are available to me when I'm really tapped in and I'm awake. 
oh, endless possibilities. That, that is the most creative answer to the question that we've had so far, and we love it. Mark, that, Mark that's code word for, is he drunk? That's, that was code word. Drunk word? I was hoping you'd, you'd break into hip-hop and give us the answer that way, actually. Like a freestyle about Awakened Souls? I know, I'll have to practice for next time. <laughs> Thank you, JG, for your energy, your wisdom, your laughter, and most of all, for highlighting to us and our listeners how tapping into playfulness and creativity allows us to experience life with so much more joy. We are certain that you have awakened the minds and activated joy in many of our listeners as to how awesome life can be. If there are any listeners out there curious to know more about you, JG, and wish to link up with you, yeah, uh, Instagram and Facebook are kind of the places I hang out. And on both platforms, I am uh, the Jason Goldberg, the, the Jason Goldberg, T-H-E, uh -huh. uh, Jason Goldberg. Uh, and yeah, happy to connect and continue the conversation there. Awesome. And we'll have those in the show notes below, listeners. So thank you again. And dear listeners, we don't take this time with you lightly. We work every day to be the living examples of everything we teach. We are deeply honored and privileged to have the opportunity to contribute to your life in some way. Yes, this is a great honor and opportunity to deliver information and the fact that you are taking an hour out of your day to listen to this podcast, we are humbled by that, that you made the effort. And if you feel awakened by one of our podcasts, please share your experience with us. Reach out and send us an email to podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. You can also join our community on Facebook at Awakening Empty Nesters. Till we return with our next guest, may you be inspired to awaken to higher levels of joy by opening your world to deeper experience, unconditional contribution and consistent growth and living with a strong ECG life pulse. Goodbye from Mark and myself and thank you again, JG. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. This is the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy what you heard today, share with a friend. And if you have not already done so, please subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback for us, you can reach us directly at podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. Looking forward to you joining us on our next show. Thank you for listening.